strategic, coordinated, and timely moves forward are just a few of the needed pieces to get CCS scaled up in time. In the UK and Europe, there are telling signs from policy developments to financing that the technology is steadily headed that way. With four CCS cluster projects set to be deployed in the UK by 2030, and £20 billion announced in the government's spring budget to support the technology, the future of CCS is looking promising. But what do these upcoming projects mean for the UK's climate targets? And what are the policy mechanisms needed to further drive the technology to scale? To speak to us about that and more is Ruth Herbert, CEO of the Carbon Capture and Storage Association. Ruth, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Ruth. It's good to be here. Before we get into discussions, maybe you can give us a, a bit of a background of the Carbon Capture and Storage Association and its mission. Yeah, so the Carbon Capture and Storage Association is a trade association uh, with an office in London and also in Brussels. Um, it was established in the UK in 2006 uh, and uh the Brussels office was established in 2019. And the vision really for the CCSA is to accelerate the commercial deployment of carbon capture, utilisation and storage technologies to achieve net zero by 2050. So it's really importantly anchored in why we are driving this technology forward, which is to combat climate change. How would you say CCS measures up here in the UK and Europe compared to um, some of our global counterparts, say in North America and APAC, how would you assess it? No, I think you've got to start by acknowledging the leadership of countries like Norway, who have been, uh, had an offshore CO2 tax driving CO2 storage in, in the Sleipner project, for example, since 1996. So real kind of um, pioneers in this area. Uh, a lot of the catch technologies being uh, around for many decades, but really kind of developed and honed um, by by many UK companies as well uh, as as others across Europe. Um, I think if you look more recently, um, the cluster uh, clusters under development in Rotterdam, say in the Netherlands, are really I think moving ahead as a kind of coordinated project is really exciting and they're close to final investment decision in the Porthos cluster. So that's really exciting. Um, we've seen the first cross-border CO2 taken from Belgium and injected in Denmark in the test injection at the Green Sands project. So um, some real firsts, I think, globally uh, in Europe. So that's really positive. And I think the large amount of money announced and the four clusters announced in the UK are are very much also uh, at the forefront of of commitments, as it were, at, at government level. Um, but in terms, I suppose, of uh, driving large volume, I think uh, we've got to look at the US and the Inflation Reduction Act and give that some credit in terms of the way that the, those tax credits actually are driving forward a large pipeline of projects. Um, and I think that's drawing a lot of intention and a lot of investment interest. So I think that's really positive. Um, countries like Canada have also been pioneers in this space for many years with their SASC's Power CCS project and also tax credits uh, and other mechanisms to support CCS. So, um, and then obviously in, in Asia and Australasia, so you've got Australia driving forward CCS for many years as well. And obviously, Home of the Institutes obviously uh, uh, played a, a key role in, in pushing forward 
global knowledge sharing in this area as well, uh, alongside Canada. Um, but I think, you know, we're starting to see now Indonesia and obviously we've seen lots of developments in China, lots of countries when they start to look at their net zero, what's required to get to net zero, their kind of national plans, as it were, they they realise that they can't do that without carbon capture and storage. So we're actually seeing CCS talked about now by a lot more governments and there's your own report shows kind of over 40 projects developing globally i think you know that's really exciting but project development can take a long time and what really makes projects get built and constructed take the final investment decisions is often national government support in some way through an economic policy or a subsidy or a sharing of risk that that makes the economic stack up for projects so we're starting to see those more broadly in the EU now, um, but we need to see that replicated in more countries beyond, for example, Germany, who've, who've now announced their support for decarbonisation of industry. So once we start to see support for industrial decarb, I think we will start to see more CCS come forward. You mentioned the the sharing of risks and and coordination being one of the main drivers to scaling up CCS. Is that a trend that you're seeing here in Europe? And what do you think is is leading to that trend? Well, I think it's a recognition and recognition that this is a it's core it, the infrastructure development needs to be coordinated. That this is strategic national infrastructure that's going to drive the competitiveness of European industry. And so it it really needs to be developed as efficiently as possible. So we've very much been advocating for a Europe-wide CO2 market to make sure that the networks developed are resulting the cheapest cost of CO2 transported and stored per tonne so that industry can decarbonise uh, efficiently. Um, whether it's a trend or not, I don't know. I think the trend has probably elsewhere been to just get the lowest hanging fruit projects going as quickly as possible. Uh, and so the projects that will will get going are the ones where there's a, a heavy emitter close to existing CO2 pipeline or an existing depleted oil or gas field, which is easy, therefore, to do the full chain of CCS. Certainly where that can be done within the existing CO2 price or tax credit, depending on where you are, then that's the sort of projects that you'll see coming forward more easily. Whereas I do think within Europe, a number of countries and now, I guess, the European Commission and collectively the countries are looking at how to actually develop these clusters of, of, of emitters and networks and how to join those together to give it a Europe-wide solution. So I think I think Europe is probably looking at that more intensely than it has previously. And we're expecting, of course, the carbon management strategy to come out and uh, to sort of set a vision for this kind of development going forward. And and within the UK alone, recently we saw a few CCS cluster projects that get the green light. Why is it important that these clusters get off the ground and what impact do you think they'll have when it comes to reaching the UK's climate targets? Yeah. So the four clusters moving forward in the UK are the high net cluster in the northwest of England, 
and the East Coast cluster in the northeast of England. Uh, in addition, a further two clusters were announced, which was the Scottish cluster uh, and also the Viking cluster, also uh, in the, the east, south, further south east of England. So I think first and foremost, it's very important to be able to, to point to an example of how this technology would be deployed, because um, at the moment, there are a couple of examples around the world of operational projects, but many projects have been delivered as an auxiliary activity to another economic activity, whatever that may be, mainly oil and gas production or as part of chemicals uh, plant, um, to be able to actually um, put this technology in place across a number of different types of application, power, industrial, hydrogen production, um, to have CCS-enabled hydrogen decarbonising the glassworks or uh, the chemical works or, you know, to have low-carbon cement. I think when we've got these projects up and running and we can point to them and show what the low-carbon product future looks like, I think that's going to be really, really powerful. Um, I think for the UK in particular, these regions where we're looking to build the clusters are regions that are a priority for the levelling up agenda. So these are industrial regions with a long industrial history and cultural history associated with their industrial history, but they have generally been in decline uh, as part of uh, uh, the change to the economy over the, the last few decades. And to have the opportunity to invest in our supply chain security to recognise that there are some things that we will always want to be able to make here in Europe and in the UK and in these regions and to have a way for people to continue as skilled people delivering products that are needed in those regions using carbon capture and storage is, is a really positive vision for the future for those regions. They can continue to be industrial regions. They can continue to be pr proud of their industrial heritage, but also have a vision for their industrial future as part of the transition to net zero. And so they won't be excluded from that. Uh, with carbon capture and storage, we can say you don't you don't need to 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 go and work in. Uh, the service sector, if you don't want to, or you don't need to go and, and work in the finance sector, if you don't want to, you can stay in manufacturing and be part of a positive change to, to make that low carbon manufacturing of the future and lead the world in that, which is a really exciting opportunity. And it is a kind of once in a, in a couple of hundred years opportunity, actually, to transition to low carbon manufacturing and to be at the forefront of that is quite exciting. It's a positive blueprint for these regions going forward. And I think that can be replicated across Europe and across the world in terms of, I guess, enabling people that are currently maybe in industries that are seen as part of the problem because they're emitting, enabling them to be part of the solution going forward. And what are the financing models that drive these types of projects? Can you speak to government supports, be it grants or otherwise, and where private sector investment fits into all of that? So the kind of most popular model, model in Europe is 
the carbon contract for difference or the CCFD, which is uh, a mechanism that already almost obviously assumes that the carbon price is going to cover uh, a proportion of this cost and then seeks to uh, uh, the cost, you know, the avoiding the carbon price, if you like, is a, is a big incentive. And then on top of that is um, topping that up to um, the level required to um, build and operate that plant with carbon capture and storage. So that's the tool being used in the Netherlands. Uh, to support those projects. It's also being looked at by Germany and it's also how the UK government will support industrial carbon capture projects. The UK government also has different types of contract for difference for the different applications of CCS, but they all basically do the same thing. They cover the cost of operating the asset with carbon capture and storage instead of without. Um, and this is needed because the 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 carbon price does not apply to everyone and it also is not high enough to drive um, implementation of CCS currently. I think it's worth making clear though when we say support, clearly the CFDs provide revenue certainty, price certainty actually for, for those that will operate CCS plant, but the funding, the capital funding will come from the private sector. So on the back of knowing that they have, that they can recoup their costs, they can put their own private sector capital up front into the construction of these sites. So this funding does, this, this funding mechanism basically pulls in private sector capital up front and then pays that back through only when the plant is fully operational and working properly. So it's it's a very good uh, mechanism for government. It means government doesn't have to find any short-term capital. It doesn't have to compete with building of schools or hospitals. This money will come from the private sector. But what it means for the private sector is that they will be able to recoup that uh, down the line. So obviously those uh, difference payments that are paid to top up CO2 price once the plant is operational they will need to be funded in some way and that's what the 20 billion refers to it refers to the the, the annual payments that will occur when the plants are operational and so I think that's a really important point the point here is that investors are willing to put their capital up front but they just need a long-term uh ability to recoup that over the duration of the asset so and that's you know, in a similar way, really, to what's happening with IRA in the US, where, you know, the promise of being able to claim the tax credits for the stored CO2 enables people to finance construction of CCS projects. Um, the difference there, obviously, is that the US tax credits are available to anybody who is eligible and who can meet the requirements, whereas in the UK and also in, in other EU member states, there are selection processes or competitions to award the CFDs and my concern is that that in itself might hold back some of the momentum that there is in the industry. Uh, we've got a, a lot of pipeline data uh, for the UK and that's really showing that um, there is a huge amount of interest in having CCS from industry businesses all around the UK but at the moment, as you say, there's only eight projects that are confirmed to move forward in the UK. 
over over two clusters and then another two clusters obviously that have had had the green light but again we don't know how many projects will go forward in those clusters yet so it feels like we're sort of what we've asked the government for really here is a detailed deployment plan between now and 2035 for the UK so that people can plan their infrastructure investments in line with their other investments over that period. So there's definitely a role there for government, obviously, because the current economic frameworks don't don't value the, the cost of avoided CO2 at the level required. But that's not to say that there won't be lots of private sector capital leveraged here. There will. And it's a great opportunity to do that. And that will drive jobs and growth over the next few years as these projects are built and then ongoing jobs to um, operate and also potentially to export the products that we make with CCS, um, which will be low carbon products. So I think huge opportunities all on the back of private sector investment. When it comes to um, the CCS value chain, just more broadly, so from CO2 capture to transporting the CO2 to, to the storage, what part of that requires the most attention in your opinion? So I think globally, I think we, the IEA have said, the International Energy Agency have said that we're going to need around uh, over 7 billion tonnes of storage globally by 2050. So that's a lot of storage. And whilst some countries like the UK um, have done a lot of good work, for example, BGS and others mapping the the, the geological storage potential uh, and already moving forward with stores to get carbon storage licenses and having legislation for that, which is which is also the case in the EU. And I think there were kind of 21 new licenses issued last week. So it's very timely to have this conversation that that without that sort of laser focus on getting CO2 stores developed, uh, given they have long lead-in times, sort of over five years, sometimes sort of seven to ten years from first concept to operations, that could be a bottleneck uh, if if other if other regions don't also uh, push forward their storage development. You hear this chicken and egg phrase, but this is, you know, it's very hard for industry to invest in development of the stores without knowing their when their customers are going to be there. And as we said before. The customers for these stores are the heavy industries that are going to need to fit CCS, but a lot of them don't know if they're going to be successful in the competitions. They don't know if there is going to be enough government contracts for them or, for example, in the US, if there's going to be tax credit system forever or not. So it's quite difficult to, to get people to invest in those stores when it comes to drilling holes and things in uh, the subsurface that are expensive to do. So this is something that is really important to focus on. And I think a long term plan for the rollout of carbon capture is the only way really to incentivise the investment in stores. Um, the other thing I think is really important not to lose sight of is to continue the investment in innovation to bring down uh, the costs and reduce the environmental impacts of the capture technology. So there's a lot of exciting second generation capture technologies developing at the moment, but that is a constant uh, cycle and we need to continually evolve technologies to make sure that we're reducing 
uh, making them more efficient, reducing um, uh, their impacts and so forth. So I think that's all, all being worked on at the moment, but we mustn't lose sight of how important it is. And for CO2 transportation, what are the different modes that you're seeing being developed or preferred? Yeah, so I think in, in many areas of the UK, similar to uh, other areas in, in other countries, especially across Europe, there isn't an immediate CO2 store opportunity close to the centre or the hub of emissions. And in those regions, what they're really keen to do is still work collectively together as emitters, but to work on their kind of uh, onshore infrastructure together and then to look to new shipping as a route to get that CO2 to the store, very much as we've seen is the model for, for Northern Lights in Norway, but also I think a lot of the stores that develop in the UK will also be able to receive CO2 by ship and it's going to be a key opportunity for for many regional hubs. And at the moment, we haven't seen a huge amount of uh, uh, activity on shipping in the UK cluster programme, but we do know that this is going to be permitted under the UK's uh, legislation, which is just uh, currently um, being finalised in, in the UK Parliament. So um, I think that's a really exciting area going forward because it's also how we're going to see Europe joined up uh, through the shipping of CO2 and po probably hydrogen and other things too. And what feedback are you hearing from your members, your industry members? Yeah, I think I think there are a couple. I would like to just focus on two. The supply chain uh, globally is under a lot of strain. Uh, and obviously, as all countries are trying to decarbonise uh, in parallel, um, we're likely to see the costs of infrastructure just continue to rise. So I think the concerns are that the, the longer it takes to uh, make final investment decisions on projects and to get sort of spades in the ground, as it were, in, you know, in all these key regions, the, the more expensive things might be. So even whilst industry is innovating and bringing down the costs of technology, the prices of construction materials and labour are going up. So this is a, a concern and I think it's something that affects kind of all sectors of the economy at the moment. Um, and so the message there is obviously plan ahead stick to your timelines and move as quickly as you can in, in this kind of environment. The other thing I think is that public perception is is increasingly important as we start to build infrastructure in regions. Many, many people are going to be involved in that in a positive way, as I said before, in terms of in their jobs, having the opportunity to part of the, the transition. Um, but many people also won't understand uh, why there is more infrastructure in their area or that that infrastructure will be decarbonising the existing infrastructure. So as with all this kind of projects, you know, community engagement and educating about CCS is really, really important. Um, also, I think more broadly, the cost, the, the cost of the transition isn't being discussed with the public and this affects all technologies that need investment, not just CCS. And I think this is something that politicians uh, will need to, 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 to be engaging more with the public on in terms of why are things more expensive. 
And we're seeing this with the cost of living crisis, where I think, you know, prices of some things are going up and maybe they won't all come down uh, over time um, because low carbon things potentially down the line, they can't always be subsidised at some point, may become more expensive. Um, so uh, I think this is, yeah, things, big, big topics, but not unique to CCS. Um, I want to ask you about what you thought was the um, most misunderstood uh, thing about CCS, and I think you briefly touched on it when it came to the pricing, but perhaps even from the policy side, is there anything from policymakers that might be misunderstood uh, as it relates to carbon capture and storage? Do you think it's well socialized? A couple of things. One I hear a lot is CCS is, is too expensive, but I think... Uh, as I said, all, the cost of all technologies, as we've seen with offshore wind recently in the UK as well, are are going up because supply chain pressures. But overall, um, looking at uh, adjusted costs, you know, CCS is part of the the cheapest pathway to net zero, so it's it's actually cheaper and less disruptive. Some for some uh, applications, for for actual heavy industry with process emissions it's the only solution we have right now so um again the fact that ccs is optional or you know there might be other technologies that are cheaper or or nicer i think is is a, is a bit of a delusion and we know that ccs is the only way to decarbonize things like cement and chemicals and maybe the other thing is just that people think it's a new technology but it's not new at all as we said we've been storing it yeah, off the coast of Norway for 20 years. Um, all of the techniques for capture and processing of CO2 have been used in the chemicals industry for decades and decades as well. Um, CO2 has been tra transported in pipelines onshore in the US for, and offshore in Norway in the US for, for many decades as well. So it's not really new. I think what's, what's held it back uh, is a lack of an economic framework, uh, the fact that we don't uh, recognise in society the cost of our emissions. This is really what has held CCS back. And now that countries are starting to legislate uh, for net zero, we're seeing that attitude change. And I mean, you've mentioned the carbon management strategy a few times. Is there any, um, well, maybe you can speak speak to that, but is there any other exciting policy items or innovations that are catching your eye uh, in the CCS arena that you'd like to mention? Yeah, well, I'm also, I also think the the member state level um, strategies are really crucial too. As I said before, a lot of the action in terms of support is, is, is decided at member state levels. So really keen to see what's next on Germany's industrial decarbonisation plan. Also, France is looking at its own CCS strategy and coming out with something there. So that's really exciting. Um, the UK is uh, going to be coming out with a CCS vision as well at the end of the year. So it'd be really great for industry to see all these things together and actually coordinated. I think that that's the, the holy grail in this space is, is, a, is a coordinated plan for a region that can really unlock the investment. Looking at the national plans, uh, that's submitted to COP and really trying to see, well, how far are we away from that 7 billion that the IEA said 
7 billion tonnes, the IEA said, we're going to need by 2050. How, how do all the plans add up and where do they, they get us to in the near term? I think that's going to be a really insightful moment for CCS. And if it's if it's not good enough, then I think we want to see more focus. We don't have a choice as humanity, right, to meet these targets. Every year that goes by, we seem to realise that it's worse or faster than we think in terms of the impacts and the acceleration of climate change. It's not linear, whereas a lot of our charts are quite linear in terms of our own actions to combat that. What I suspect is that we'll find out that we need to go even faster and at more scale, more quick, you know, we need to do more quicker and that those interim targets 2030, 2035 will start to look not ambitious enough. And therefore, if we go at the slowest rate and think, well, we'll just make those targets in time, that might not be enough. Well, you've you've left us with lots to think about. Thank, thanks again for joining us, Ruth. Yeah, thanks so much, Ruth. And um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. For more details about this episode and podcast, visit globalccsinstitute.com and head to the Multimedia Library.